Well, welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, uh, we're just doing a hangout. I think uh, we could cover some, I guess, recent open theist news. And apparently there was an interview between Vocab Malone, who's a street preacher, quote unquote, out of uh, the St. Louis area, I think, and uh, Leighton Flowers. And so I've dealt with this Vocab Malone guy before, so I've had some responses with uh, Laron about this guy. And so apparently he talked to Leighton Flowers, and they have some sort of, uh, I don't know, conversation about if open theists can be accepted into the fold. Leighton Flowers is getting so much flack for these these days. And so this this bearded Calvinist guy, um, I've never seen him before in my life. He just kind of popped up on YouTube a little bit for me. Montana Viking. Right. So apparently you got a beard means you're a Viking. Looks like we got Joel in the house. Excellent. Excellent. So you got a beard. You're a Viking. You're from Montana. You're a Montana Viking. You're also a Calvinist. But this guy struck me as a little bit interesting because he knows who Bob Enyard is. And supposedly, and I, I there's no reason not to believe him, he's read Bob Enyard's The Plot. So let's let's listen to their conversation. And uh, I don't know. See what he says. Fesser in the SBC. Uh, and is that a good thing? Yes, he meant it is. <laughs> Open theism. First off, you know, James White will even talk about it. He's never met an open theist who didn't have just major, major other things going on. And I'm familiar with three open theists. Um, I'm familiar with Bob Enyart, uh, who passed away just recently, I think a year or so ago. And then I'm familiar with, um, and Bob Enyart and James White debated uh, way back in the day, I think eight years ago. Uh, and then kind of had some spats after that, right? Uh, where James White shows, proves that Bob Enyart is, just starts taking him out of context and everything. Uh, well, beyond that, yeah, Greg Boyd, New Reformation Apologetics. He's the most famous open theist of my lifetime, I think, uh, by far. Um, I remember when I was a kid's pastor in church, we had a family in our church whose um, kid went to, I think went to Greg Boyd's church um, and spoke, or was at least being influenced by Greg Boyd, uh, which, you know, you know, and so you try to talk to him about that and, you know, all that. Uh, but David writes, uh, I love Bob. Yeah, Bob was actually a really nice guy, very genuine, very interested in facts and information, very intuitive in when dealing with individuals, he had a charisma and uh, his, his intuition drove his TV shows. And so he'd do all these live call-ins where he would basically have to in real time psychoanalyze and respond to all these people who are trying to trick him and, and uh, do bad stuff to him and lie to him and things like that. And so uh, he was an interesting character. I learned quite a lot from him. Uh, it's almost like every time I'm reading a theology book and I think about uh, like a certain concept, how how something is read and understood, I, I often could think back to Bob Enyart's sermons or talks in which he talks about uh, illustrations of concepts. That, that's what he, he was uh, pretty good at doing, is illustrating a concept so that we could draw that concept and apply that to when we're reading a verse. And so maybe, I'm just going to, I just thought of this now, maybe that's where I picked up 
this idea to try to grab parallel texts from throughout the Bible to show how all the phrases that classical theism uses of God for their proof texts, that they take them differently when those are applied to men. Showing, illustrating their disconnect, illustrating their special pleading, illustrating how, how speculative their evidence is for their beliefs. They have to special plead. They have to just demand this phrase means this specific thing in this instance, but not those other instances over there. Uh, pay no attention over there. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It means my specific thing right now, right here. So uh, good times. Bob Enyer, he will be missed. And so Greg Boyd, I don't think this guy was, it was this guy's number two. Someone just threw that in his comments. So maybe he's going to have two more names for us. So Greg Boyd, by far the most influential or famous one, I think, um, my lifetime. And then the third one would be Jesse Morrell. Um, well, all three of them have just major things wrong. They're they're wrong, not just on their open theism, but in other areas of theology. 1689 Baptist, you lose your hat. It, yeah, I got a haircut, thought I would show off my hair for a week or two and then go back to the hat. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll definitely come back in my hat person. Um, Bob Enyart, though, I used so this is not like your typical Calvinist. So he he knows Jesse Morrell and he knows Bob Enyart, and he seems fairly well versed in both. He seems to have invested a little bit of time. So maybe, ah, maybe he's seen the Jesse Morrell response video to James White that was like nine hours long. Maybe I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't put money on it, but it is a possibility. To back in college, I used to listen to Bob Enyart live, um, and this would be my you know Armenian days for sure because I went to an Assembly of God Bible College. And what I admired about Bob Enyart and is he false teacher? Yes, I, I would put him you know label him as false teacher. Um, he was an open theist, but. Um, what I admired about him at the time is that he was very, Hey, you can't kill tiny people, uh, we'll say in any bill that ends with, and then you can kill the tiny person. Um, that is a bad bill. And so he, he was kind of abolitionistic, um, back in the day he did not like, I think his national. So yeah, Bob Enyart started American right to life to compete with national right to life because national right to life was basically a, uh, a pro-lifer grifter organization and they made almost zero progress. They, they never did anything and they weren't moving anything. It, it was basically a way to funnel money for, for, uh, ideas for laws legislations that would never take root never take hold and then they opposed legislation that they didn't like like personhood bills bills that would say that uh the unborn baby is a person and imbued with the rights of personhood they'd oppose these things and so he started american right to life to protest this basically he doesn't want any bills that end in and then you could kill the baby right so like a partial birth abortion bills, uh, you just have to make sure the baby's not like halfway out and then you could kill the baby. So he didn't like those types of bills. And so I, th I think our Calvinist friend does admire Bob Enyart in this fashion for this advocacy. Right to life or the one that's just really squishy. Um, and it, it is very squishy. Um, uh, Bob Enyart, I think that he would get along fairly well with the abolitionists, I think, don't quote me on that, which is just really weird to have 
an open theist abolitionist. I don't know. Uh, but he would be famous for buying some of O.J. Simpson's, what, memorabilia or stuff. And I think he burned it uh, somewhere. Um, I think that would be one of his claims to fame. Or, uh, what yeah, that was actually a really good story where uh, Bob Enyar, he asked for donations or whatnot and uh, bought O.J. Simpson's memorabilia because there's two two trials for O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson definitely killed his wife. In the first trial, he was found innocent. That was the criminal trial. Then there was a civil trial where he was found guilty and then all his stuff had to be kind of repossessed and sold to pay off the Goldmans and uh, whoever else he needed to pay off. And so Bob Inyer bought them up and then destroyed them publicly in California uh, as, as a way to protest the broken justice system that we have. And their fire marshal's story was actually pretty funny. Like, uh, it, it's it's almost impossible to get a fire permit to burn stuff on the streets. But they went in to the fire marshal and they're like, hey, can we get a fire permit? And the guy's like, yeah, it's an, almost impossible to do that. Yeah, you're probably wasting your time. What's it for? Oh, we're going to destroy O.J. Simpson's things. He's like, where do I sign? And so uh, it was a pretty funny story. And and it all actually made its way to um, John Stewart, The Daily Show. This is where... I saw it because I, I wasn't living in Colorado anymore at that time. I had known Bob Enyart as a child, and then he pops up on The Daily Show, and uh, it's like, Bob Enyart, uh, Denver uh, radio host, destroys OJ's stuff. I'm like, I know that guy. So that's a very good clip. So if you could go find that Daily Show, Bob Enyart, OJ Simpson, throw it into YouTube, you probably could get that clip, but it's uh, it's pretty exciting. One thing that people would know him for. Um, what else? Bob in your live where he did a lot of of. Yeah, of, of course, uh, I have to go ahead and uh, have a computer crash in the middle of the show. Yeah, I still haven't figured it out. I got my new graphics card, and I guess I need to upgrade the power supply. That's I've reformatted. I've, I've updated drivers. I've uh, done a lot of troubleshooting with the settings, but my computer just doesn't like my new graphics card. And so I will have to figure that out.
I'm a computer guy, so I like computer guys. So uh, David writes, Bob said that miracles harden hearts. I think about that all the time. And yeah, absolutely, that's true. If you look throughout uh, history, like like the places where Jesus did his most miracles were the places which utterly rejected him, right? And so yeah, Bob Enyart, well, that was one of his arguments. And, uh, you know, uh, how, how good it might have been a good argument. But the idea was that God doesn't do miracles these days because miracles tend to have the exact opposite of effect that we would expect. So, <laughs> uh, I gotta, I gotta re. So, so the idea was, yeah. So, miracles backfire. Miracles give people senses of entitlement. Miracles create hardened hearts. Miracles just don't work as a conversion technique, generally, as we see in the Bible. And so that's why one of the reasons that they're just not done today. So, I gotta reshare my screen, and we could uh, continue on with this guy. Mr. Calvinist in four. Um, what else? He had Bob in your live where he did a lot of, of stuff. Uh, when I was in college, I actually bought the plot, which would be basically his commentary on the Bible. And I read through that. Um, so this is another good idea from Bob Enyart is to style the Bible as a book. And of course, it is a final edited work. The Bible has editors. It is arranged. It is uh, uh, compiled. And it is. Uh, it, it does read like a plot. Rising, falling actions. You have little twists and turns. It reads as a collective whole. And so treating the Bible like a plot and understanding that it is a story that is being told for some reason. Remember, go back to Walter Brueggemann's Theology of the Old Testament, part of the sub subtitle of that is that it's advocate, advocacy. The Bible advocates for the true God over the false gods. And how does it do that? It brings Israel through Israel's history with God, describing who this God is and what this God is doing. It is a plot. It's it's giving us something. It's it's giving us action in, in college. Uh, and he would be highly dispensational in his theology, if I remember correctly. And he would, it was interesting because he points to, we're going down a rabbit trail. I want to even go through that and talking about the, I like the white rabbit trail. And so dispensational, everyone's a little bit dispensationalist unless you're eating kosher. And I don't know if he rounds his corners of his beard or something like that, but unless you're doing those types of things, eating kosher, you're a little bit dispensationalist, right? We all are. That's, that's one thing that, strikes me about open theism is that open theism is about as close as you can get to critical scholarship without uh, losing Christianity or losing the Bible. I guess there's critical scholars who call themselves Christians who uh, treat the Bible realistically, but then reject the Bible. But open theism is the closest you could get to critical scholarship without rejecting the Bible. Like, for example, dispensationalism. Uh, you just have to read the works of Bart Ehrman, right? Go read his uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene. You could skip the Mary Magdalene stuff. That He just threw that in to help sell because uh, uh, Peter Brown, no, I don't know, Peter Brown, the, the Da Vinci Code stuff, that was out at the time. And so he had to add a chapter about stupid stuff that nobody cares about. But reading that Peter and Paul and understanding the differences and the conflicts between Peter and Paul, those are actually really good chapters, right? Rita Aslan writes about the, the 
the tension between Paul and the apostles as well. You know, these are like critical scholarship. And uh, dispensationalist open theists approximate critical scholarship. You know, there's not going to be like an Old Testament scholar who's like, oh, yeah, these, these Old Testament Israelites believed in Calvinism. They, they believed God was pure simplicity. And uh, they believed he was uh, absolute immutability. And uh, he had uh, a single substance. And he was, uh, oh, yeah, outside of time. And then also he was, oh, ineffable. No, no, no one's going to believe that. That's, that, that's entirely insane. And so, <laughs> uh, but uh, that being a dispensational open theist is going to get you close to critical scholarship. I was a little bit more of a dispensationalist than even Bob Enyart because um, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that Paul and Peter and James have their differences. Uh, Bob Enyart wasn't wasn't willing to go that far, so that was pretty funny. No, I won't even go there. Um, but the plot, you know, if you're looking for a commentary from an open theist, go check out the plot from Bob Enyart if you want to know what they believe. Uh, eventually, we'll get, go check out Jesse Morell as he's going to explain open theism, and I thought that was a good video. And it's fun to watch, too, if you're a Calvinist. Why? Open theists are very hostile towards Calvinism, but um, they'll take shots at Arminians too. Because, uh, you know, if you have Calvinism, hey, we're grounded on the truth, and Arminianism, hey, they, they wander from it. And then you have open theists just way out in left field. Um, you know, they'll, they'll come kind of from the left, I guess you would say, from error to rebuke the error of Arminianism. And it's kind of fun. It can be fun to watch is what I'm saying. Uh, and so we're going to get into a video of Leighton Flowers, essentially, I could say what he's saying, why not, uh, saying, hey, it was a mistake for the SBC to kick out Open Thieves. So let's just listen to it and uh, go from there. Uh, how do I play again? I forgot how to play stuff. Here we go. Sociological issues on the other side. It just doesn't make any sense to me to, to cast out a group of people. And I understand the, the reactionary response when you first hear, when I first heard about open theism. I had the same reactionary kind of response of, oh my. And you know, Leighton, that's the, the problem is, oh, they have a different philosophy. That's the problem. No, uh, they redefine who God is. Uh, that was So Mark Ryan has it correct. And so uh, open or open theists, some, some, some of them, I guess, will, will focus on the philosophy. But fundamentally, open theism is about the character and nature of God. Like mankind's irrelevant. Mankind having future free actions, that's irrelevant to open theism. Mankind doesn't have to exist, and open theism will be true. And so that, that's an interesting concept. If you're ever in a debate, these people are going to be turning to, how did God know that these people here would do X, Y, Z in the future? It's like, well, open theism is true no matter how God knows that. Even if God took an army of nanobots, inhabited that guy's body, and forced him to do all those things, that doesn't invalidate open theism. We actually, it's actually funny, we actually got examples of God doing things in the Bible, making things happen. If he wants a baby named a certain thing, he'll make the dad mute until that happens. If he wants to humble a king, he'll turn him into like a mentally regressed individual who's eating grass and, and absolutely insane. If he wants a prophet to go preach to a certain city, he could swallow him, use very heavy coercive, 
recursive means to force this prophet to go do what he wants. We have examples of how God does something. And it's, it's never it's never like the Calvinist way. God never knows something because the, the text never says, well, God knew this because he has ungenerated, simple, eternal, unfalsifiable knowledge that's innately generated within himself of all things. No, you don't get that. You don't get uh, God forces all things to happen, even minutia, and this is why this event happens. Those are never the explanations. When mechanisms are given, and mechanisms are given often, it's never the Calvinism. It's never traditional omniscience. It's always open theism. It's always through means, through methods, uh, through mechanisms. How does God know something? He tests to know. He sees to know. He calculates to know. Uh, he, he guesses sometimes. He has hopes. God, God of hopes. God has hopes in the Bible. And so it's all open theism. Anytime there, there's, the, then they'll turn to the ones where there's no mechanism given and they'll say, how did God know this one thing? I was watching the Will Duffy debate the other day. How did God know this one thing would happen in three days time? They're like, what? It's a, it must it must be that he had unfalsifiable, ungenerated, eternal, exhaustive uh, knowledge of all things, past, present. That that's the only way he could do it. It's not like there's an infinite number of other options. And then uh, it was it was the Chris Date one. Chris Date was like demanding Will Duffy tell him exactly. It's like, and then he was like calling him on it. It's like you said like this, but the text doesn't say that. <laughs> Like the text doesn't tell us. Okay. Oh, anyways, I'll let Leighton talk. Would be the problem. Who cares about the philosophy stuff? I honestly really don't. Uh, the oh yeah, that's where we were. Uh, who cares about the philosophy stuff? This is about the nature and character of God. Yes, fantastic. I'm liking this Mark Ryan guy. Uh, I don't. I don't have any problems with him currently. The problem would be they have a different definition. They have a different molding of who God is. And so that would be the issue. My gosh, what are they denying? What is that about? You know, I can't believe that kind of thing until I heard out some of the arguments and what they were trying to say and why they were coming to their conclusion. Then I go, oh, okay, there, there's a philosophical issue here with this, this, and this, and I understand where they're coming from. And, and you know, hey, open theism, is it exegetical? You know, it's par for the course. Is it exegetical? No, uh, highly philosophical. They're not going to exegete through texts of scripture, generally speaking. Uh, they're going to, if you listen to them in a debate, it's going to be the philosophy of it all. Um, let's see. They take shots at provenient grace, mostly in rebukes of Arminianism. And Leighton Flowers has come out and said, you know, that he, provenient grace can't be defended in scripture. I mean, you have James White who would say, hey, you know, is is Leighton Flowers an open theist? Well, maybe if that was acceptable within the SBC, then maybe he would come out as one. Um, but if he were to come out as an open theist, then you can't be one in the SBC course. I mean, they can't get rid of Steve Furtick, Church by the Glades, Rick Warren. They can't exercise any discipline there. And so honestly, I think that if they had an open theist, you know, come out especially as popular or whatever i don't think they'd do anything um personally i think the philosophy accusa accusation is just an ad hominem yeah you know 
so open theism maybe there's people watching open theist what is that hey the future so i legitimately think that Layton flowers goes to the philosophy angle of open theism because he just doesn't want to address the biblical case it's a lot easier to tell his listeners oh they just have a different philosophy than us and then then he he gets to like uh, uh heisman like that like the football thing stick out a stick out an arm and and push away the biblical case for he doesn't have to deal with it he doesn't have to address with it and it probably works good for conflict de-escalation in his circles and so i'm not going to fault him but i don't think he's like 100 uh, percent on the up and up sure is open it's not settled you know within calvinism we believe in god's eternal decree um that god ordained predetermined uh made certain to happen before it happened every whatsoever shall come to pass um and arminian you know arminians would wouldn't go that far but they would at least go so far as to say hey god knows the future if you sin if you do something stupid god knows it before it even happens uh god didn't predetermine it um even though he could have prevented it a million trillion different ways things like that uh but open theists would go so far as to say and let's i want to read an article from roger olson uh because he explains it very well i think um it also presupposes that god cannot know the future and you know put an asterisk there in that god cannot specifically god does not know the uh free will decisions that his that humans will make would that be animals and stuff too i think so um i think open theist would say that uh god does not know the free will decision of his creation of his creatures um yeah that it all seems to be the case so uh, i got into it the other day with some rando i don't know and i said uh free will is not in the bible you know you're gonna find uh, things like free will option uh, offering and things like that but like they the israelites who wrote the Bible did not have a concept of non-free will. And so op or free will is everywhere and always. It's just, it's, it's not an option for God to create robots. That's not like something that he had to mentally process and go through. It's like, should I, should I make humans with free will or with no free will? Or I can make them like robots, but then I could also choose to have them have the ability to love and then they could free there there's there's nothing like that there there there's there's no consideration of creating beings other than beings with free will and once god does create them he he watches them to try to figure out how these guys are going to act and how they're going to behave he, he he watches them to see what they're going to name the animals uh he gets disappointed in their actions he lowers standards for them it's just the the concept of free will is everywhere and always within the text because it's not in their theological vocabulary to have a deterministic outlook in life it's just not part of their worldview where that's an option all right god is everywhere and always present god is everywhere and always active but god is active in a real-time way he might be bringing events to fruition but he's not micromanaged, controlling all people's actions. And uh, he, he sometimes in the Bible, it doesn't appear that he has access to inward thoughts exactly, right? And so you, you get those passages 
where God tests people to know their hearts, to know their minds. God tests to know. <laughs> and so, but God would know other other things, just not free will decisions, I guess. Uh, and James White will point out, well, then did God know that um, Joseph and Mary would exist? Well, no, because how many free will decisions uh, between Joseph and Mary and Adam and Eve occurred there that hey, God didn't know that. God didn't know that Joseph and Mary's parents would choose to get married and have relations and have you know kids and all that. And uh, and so God didn't know they would exist. God, you, I think James White's favorite, what would you call it, thing, like catch thing to say to open theists, if I remember right, would be, hey, God doesn't know what we're having for breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, what, hey, that's true. That's a free will decision. God has a really good clue. He knows your likes, your dislikes. But maybe I go to the store tomorrow and I say, "Hey, I want to try something new, something I've never tried before." Uh, well, which David, one should I? You know, should I? David writes that uh, he's he was watching Clash of Titans the other night, and Calvinism occurred to me. Yeah, it, that's actually very coincidental. Not long ago, I showed my kids the older Clash Class of Titans, where um, you know you got the stop motion animation and things like that and because so I, i'm i try to culture my kids i give them broad perspectives and and part of that is movie culture and so you have the gods up in olympus moving little uh, pieces having intrigues among each other trying to make things work out but even them that they they don't control things it's uh, tomorrow where i'm going to be doing a live stream with my brother in which we're going to be going over the lectures on the Semites by William Robertson Smith and talking about relations between the gods, uh, the ancient gods or God in the case of Israel and their people and how they viewed their relationship, their, their blood relationship, their blood ties. And so it, some of those concepts that are discussed in that lecture is, you know, that God is someone you could appeal to for action. So it's not necessarily that God is, doing everything at all times, uh, controlling everything. But when you need God's power, that's when you talk to God, you pray to God and have God intervene on your behalf, maybe to solve a dispute. That That's that's the role of the king in the ancient Semite world is when there's something that you couldn't figure out at a local level, you would appeal to higher levels and the higher level wisdom would solve your problems for you. And then of course, God was at the top of that pyramid god was the ultimate source of wisdom and uh judgment for intertribal disputes and so it's it's interesting concept uh, uh, none of it none of it at all is calvinism it's not like you're reading uh, this lecture on the religion of the semites and uh they're considering well maybe these guys thought god as pure simplicity and immutability it's it's just not there it's just not there all right, we got Iretic here. He's joined the room. Hello, everyone. Hey, yeah. Chris. How are you doing lately? I'm well. I'm feeling really well. Yeah. Um, I, I for, first thing I have to say is um, remember that guy we were dealing with um, in Discord, like early on in our relationship, John something, and he was he was like an open theist, but then he like shifted and became like anti-open theists or whatever. right he wants to debate debate me in december john singleton he wants to debate That's me it. in december i couldn't remember i was like sanders I, I kept getting sanderson or something singleton yeah anyways now i know what john singleton looks like if he had a beard 
That's all. That's what well, I think this guy's guy skinnier. I think our friend oh, really? here, Montana Viking, uh, has less LBs, a little yeah. less weight. Oh, okay, so. I haven't seen John lately. So, right. Anyways, it's... I just thought I'd bring that up. It was kind of. I, I think John Singleton's uh, hermeneutic stance is it's called it's called the girlfriend hermeneutic. Whatever your girlfriend uses for the hermeneutic, that's your hermeneutic. <laughs> well, he ought to stick with one girlfriend then. Well, well probably. All right, I'm going to hit play. I think he's going to. We're in the middle of Layton's. He didn't let Layton's yeah, really on. talk. Layton Flowers talk very much, but he's going to I go with this one or this one. And sometimes I'm really bad at making my mind and I'll be at the store for a long time, but that's besides the point. Well, if I were to do that, God does not know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow. And so, you know, many of us would say, well, you have a different God. You don't have the, the God of the Bible. Uh, but with latent flowers, it, as we're listening to him here. Yeah, remember remember that verse that says, if God doesn't know what you're going to eat for breakfast before you do, that it's not the God of the Bible. Because that's like that's like what he's known for, is guessing people's breakfasts. Uh, yeah, this. so it's, it's insane. People, it's almost like, you know, in modern culture, anytime anyone's talking about Jesus, they, they all have their own personal Jesuses, and they'll say, oh, Jesus would never do this. Oh, Jesus would bake a cake for a gay wedding. It's like, oh, right. I, I don't know if a first century Jewish rabbi who is big on the law and morality would bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. I, I don't, I, I've not seen that in the text. That might be like your own imagined. I, I just don't think it's there. I, I don't think it's there. And so I, people do that with, with God too. It's like, God in the Bible knows what everyone's going to eat before. The, He's that, certainly those. not going to bake a cake for a gay Gentile wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine that's actually in um, a Psalms 139. <laughs> King David's, he's writing. He's like, you know what I'm going to say before I say it? You know the breakfast cereal I'm going to eat before I eat it? That would be terrible. That'd be awful. Well, it'd be a You're... pretty nice proof text oh. for him. No, it wouldn't because it's like I I kind of I know a couple days ahead of I had all my meals right, lined right. up yeah. for this week. It's like my the chicken in my refrigerator is going bad, so I gotta cook it and I gotta eat it. And then so it's like everything's on like a priority. So it's God God could track my meals a lot better than I can, probably. Um, a God who does not know what we're having for breakfast tomorrow. That that's that's as close to his God. Um, as the like the Calvinistic God, the God of Spurgeon, Luther, as James White will allude to, the Reformers, uh, John Calvin, uh, these Could I say Whitfield, something? Uh, these John MacArthur, these kind of folks. Uh, Leighton Flowers has has as much in common, or would it would embrace a God who does not know what we're having for breakfast tomorrow? A God that does not know that hey Joseph and Mary. Uh, would they exist? Well, God didn't know when he created Adam and Eve, why he doesn't know the free will decisions of his creation. So uh, did God know latent flowers would exist? No. Did God know latent flowers would sin? No. This, this seems to be like a mental stress point for them. They're like, did God know you would exist thousands of years ago? If not, then, uh-oh, that's that's terrible. I like. People, yeah, they have a real attachment to the fact that God knew them personally. You know, from when he started his thing, I think. Pixels writes, uh, I know what cereal my kids will eat for breakfast tomorrow. 
I don't even know if my kids will eat breakfast tomorrow. They just kind of, <laughs> I just let them uh, scavenge around. I only eat once a day or else I get real fat. And so I don't usually eat breakfast. And so then uh, I don't make my kids breakfast. You're on your own kids. You got to figure it out. <laughs> Boy, any of these things. William Flowers would embrace that God um, before or as much as he would the Calvinistic God, the Reformed God. Um, that is just, just mind boggling, just mind boggling to me. So, so these are power claims, but, uh, anytime we're, we start talking about knowledge of the future as some sort of a benefit for God, I I'm always reminded of the 12 monkeys movie, not, 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 not the TV series, which is awful, but, uh, the Bruce Willis mm -hmm. one where they go over the legend, the Greek legend of Cassandra, it's a Cassandra complex. And so the idea is that. Cassandra was warning people about a future she knows what will happen that will happen, but she's powerless to prevent it. And so that that's the same thing in classical theism. God is powerless to prevent the future that he knows will happen. God is God is not an active participant. Even in Calvinism, where they say God declares all things and makes all things, he's really just a passive cog in the wheel. He didn't have any discretion about that. He didn't have any ability not to do that. He, he's, he's a passenger along for the ride, just as everyone else. He, he has no potency, potentiality. Yeah, he Is has that because no... he's bound to his nature? So well, he, he yeah, he, it's pure simplicity. What he decrees? Okay. Yeah, it's, oh, it's oh, simplicity. Because, oh, he, he can't change. He's yes. immutable. Right. Uh, he can't change. Uh, simplicity means he can't have parts. He can't have variations. He can't have relations to anything outside himself. There's no discursive thought in classical omniscience. God is just as much a cog of the universe as anything else. And then they go on these, these TV shows or whatever, uh, podcasts, and they're like, if God didn't know what breakfast you have tomorrow be a very weak god he's 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 not very powerful in your system he has no potency he can't do things he's fated to whatever this uncaring universe has forced him into he's he had no discretion in it well, god have, has no discretion I yeah have a, i have a good calvinist friend who uh jimmy stevens i don't know if you, anybody knows him but uh he's a necessitarian you know and so I mean, that that just follows along with what you're saying. But if everything is necessary, I mean, he it follows from God, you know, in a way it follows if God, every choice God makes is the best possible choice, you know, and he only makes the best possible choices. So what does that say about anything he's decreed, you know, to happen? It could not be improved upon once the decree is made. I mean, and so in a way, God is just a, a prisoner of his own nature or of his own perfections maybe or something right even in molinism where god quote unquote makes decisions they don't actually believe he makes decisions because that would violate classical omniscience mm -hmm. so they have to build this logical priority list that where he makes decisions after he contemplates the world and it's all in the same logical level or it's all the same sequential level but there's a logical priority and that way it doesn't conflict but god doesn't actually make decisions in molinism but everything is for god's for the, the best possible universe that could exist. And, you know, it's <laughs> trying to explain this to non-Calvinists. They get a look of confusion, like, what the heck are you talking about? There's a lot of evil in the world. Yes, in Calvinism, that evil is necessary to highlight God's goodness or do some sort of practical thing that would be better 
than if that evil had not existed. So Chris, we're, we're, we're living in the ultimate universe. How do you deal with this? Uh, like, cause this reaction, this guy, you know, the response of so many Christians you get from him is just mocking incredulity. Oh, so God doesn't know what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. I mean, like that's like 90% of the, what I interact with. And it's like, fresh, it's, it's so, it's such a simple level of disagreement or, or, you know, it's just not very deep, but what, how do you, you know, how do you respond? What's a good way to just to maybe sort of evade that, cut that off and get to business, get to the real business. If you want to get to business, uh, you just, you start grabbing examples in the Bible of God saying things are going to happen that don't materialize. <laughs> right. You say, well, it could be the case because we got an example here in the Bible where God says, oh, Eli's son's going to be my priest uh, priest family forever. And then I revoke that. And so sometimes God thinks things are going to happen in the future, knows things are going to happen in the future, and then those things just don't materialize. And so that that redirects them back to the Bible. And so they're not dealing with their own little silly straw men. And now they have to address the biblical evidence. Yeah, and that's exactly when they turn to the anthropomorphisms, and you God is, you know, he's, you know, baby talk. Yeah, but think about that. Um, they have so little respect for the Bible. Well, you, you could say the exact same thing that the Bible does. They'll just yeah. Bible, and then they'll criticize you. They'll say you're wrong. You're a heretic. You you shouldn't be part of. Uh, the co congregation, uh, you should get kicked out of the church, even though you're saying the exact same things that the Bible's saying, because the Bible really just didn't mean it. I have know? a good example of that. It's like w salvation by faith alone. Like what a doctrine to hold when there's a proof text that says we are not. But so you see, brothers, we are saved by works and not by faith alone. I mean, that's a text, right? And, you know, James says that, you know, <laughs> but I. I Faith alone, you know, I mean, uh, and obviously people, uh, you know, parse it out. But anyways, I just, that's an interesting one to me. Oh, a G cons here. He says, bro, can't wait for you to expand to Clubhouse. Yeah. Um, yeah. The best way to get a hold of me is Facebook because I got these metal ceilings here and my phone just literally does not work downstairs. So uh, <laughs> ping me somewhere else. I, the guy I bought this house from, he's probably like uh, ever seen enemy of the state with uh yeah gene hackman yeah gene hackman and will smith and he has that <laughs> he's got that copper wiring all over his house mm -hmm. yeah yeah crazy stuff but well uh, maybe layton's gonna talk i don't know he's our friend our bearded friend guy he's been cutting him off me uh reductio ad absurdum easily disproves open theism open theism i think is just so <laughs> it, it you can only redefine the attributes of God so much. You have a different God. Uh, you really I admit do. we and have a different Bob Inyar, God. New Reformation apologetics. Let me know. Let me know. And maybe others. Uh, 1689 Baptist. Let me know if you're still watching. Yeah, that's why it's so powerful to tell these guys. It's like, if you don't like the God of the Bible, there's other options for you. <laughs> They'll say, well, your God is so weak. It's like, well, that's the one the Bible describes. So take it or leave it. You could... Yeah. If you don't like those things, if you think you they're terrible, the Bible. yeah, you, you could. There, there's Platonism. Have you looked into Platonism? You could be a professing <laughs> Platonist. Oh, that guy we reviewed the other day. Ah, oh, what's uh, the philosopher guy? He said, "Oh, I'm a Platonist." Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. you are a Platonist. Yeah, that was interesting. If 
So open theists reject the immutability of God. And I'm trying to think of it if it's in certain things. And they always point to the incarnation, uh, which can get very, which can get complicated, I think. But do they? I don't think I've pointed once to that, but uh, they reject the immutability of God's moral character because that gets, it gets messy real quick. And, you know, it's just, it's probably if, if there's some sort of proof text that there's a lot of variation in how people read these things and, and the conclusions they come to, probably not going to be the best proof text for. Because now you're arguing like Trinitarian doctrine and stuff like that. In addition to open theism, it gets real messy. Like try to okay. stick to one subject very clearly, unless you want to do tongue in cheek things and throw them for loops. Uh, I don't know if you remember that part of that debate where uh, that guy's like, uh, you think Jesus has, or do you, do you think God has a body? And I said, well, I think we're all Trinitarians here. And they, they were, they all like sat back. Yeah. For a he didn't they're know like, what to do with that. Uh, they're like, because, because it'd take like 30 minutes for them to explain. We don't actually believe that God had a body. The Jesus part of yeah. God is not actually God. It'd take like 30 minutes, but it was, uh, it was so disarming. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Cause they, they won't Enya deny that Jesus forward. had a body, but they would have to explicate that. <laughs> yeah. They'd have to go through this like nuanced, like additional sermon in, in response to everything. <laughs> oh, it, I, I kill myself sometimes. And say, hey, God, uh, or Jesus Christ, was it possible that he could have sinned um, by a, a, in the temptation? And he'll say, yes, that was possible. It's possible for God to, to sin. Um, well, that would deny God's moral immutability. And now you have, hey, God could become unfaithful tomorrow. That's not a true Heresy statement. just hey outside christianity for sure but he's philosophizing I don't know that all open theists would hold to that no it's because um, i would argue jesus chooses not to sin so well, yeah and, like and, and, and he could i could assume it's on moral grounds that he does so yeah satan who, who spends probably a lot more time with god and jesus than we ever have satan thought he could sin i I, I might defer to his expertise on the issue. Yeah, Satan just was just wait just going through the act, the place. Like, yeah, he was. Just He's like, acting. I could give you. You could be the ruler of this world. Uh, you and me, you and me, bro. We gang up against God the Father. We, we could be homies. We could take this. We could rule no, you'd this have place. To, you have to assume that Satan no like doesn't know he's powerless to tempt him. Like you know. Right, it's a it's a real test. It's a, it's a real possibility. Is there anything in that text that treats it as not a real test? That that's what that's what the Calvinist has to do with all these tests throughout the Bible. Every time people are testing God, or God is testing man, or uh, Satan's testing Jesus, all of these are fake tests. Right. They they can't actually do they they can't actually be effective. They can't actually do anything. Only in open theism are these real tests that we take literally. We just read it and like, okay, yeah, that's what's going on. Jesus is being tested because Jesus doesn't have this attribute called impeccability. So that's that's an attribute yeah. that we talk about once in a while, I'm once glad. in a blue moon. The I'm idea glad. that Jesus is incapable, not, not, not only that does he not sin, but he's incapable of sinning. Right. That's that you just don't get that from the Bible. 
right? They'll say, oh, Jesus was sinless. Okay, because he didn't sin or because he can't sin? Which is it? They're not the same thing. Not the same thing. It's like, I could drown all my children in the bathtub. I could do that, but I'm not going to do that. I would never do that, even though I can do that. I wouldn't exactly. do that. Exactly. I suppose Easily, some would, yeah. some wouldn't. I'm not sure there. Let me know in the comments um, what you think there. I watched a video on Greg Boyd's cruciform model. And is it going to let Layton talk? Let's see. It wasn't necessary. <laughs> okay. I, I scrolled it forward a little bit. Only purpose was to fulfill the covenant. Oh, well. Greg Boyd, you know, your most famous open theist just has so much wrong with oh him. Oh my would, gosh. And he, uh, yeah, he carries so much fucking the, Oh man, I gotta um, get out of here. Hey, of hell, I can't speak. Eternal hell. <laughs> All right. Um, and a I'll lot of times, you know, hey, with theology, it's so closely woven together and who God is that when you're off on one area, you're just off everywhere. Uh, and it, one of my favorite, well, let's, I think we pretty much finished this. Let's see. And and I would not cast them out of the kingdom nor my church. No. Okay. So Lane Flowers said, hey, I wouldn't cast open theists out of the kingdom, the church. They could be professors of the SBC. They're, they get a seat at the table. Uh, and so if you if if you're going to be a professor and teach, essentially, God doesn't know what you're you're having for breakfast tomorrow. God didn't know Joseph and Mary would exist. God didn't know. Uh, that they would, you know, any of the sin that anyone commits after Adam and Eve. Yeah, and, and you explicitly have that in God reversing his own actions, God regretting his own actions. It happens twice in the Bible as recorded. Could have happened more times in history. We don't know. We just don't have the records. But God doesn't regret man becoming evil. He regrets his own actions in making man. And so that's accepting a little bit of responsibility He's, he's burdening, burdening the responsibility on his own shoulders for how man turns out. What does he do? He undoes his old decision. Same thing with Saul. He had appointed Saul, and then he regretted his own action in appointing Saul, turned it over to David. So yeah, we have God regretting his actions. So yeah, is that is that the worst thing in the world? Uh, theology is over now that God doesn't, he thinks something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. The biblical authors don't think so. It's it's not a concept in Israelite theology that demands that God knows what we're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. That's not a concern that they have. It's a very big concern for Calvinists for some reason. I don't know why why they're so concerned about God watching over their diet plan. And I know this this guy's okay. Some of the Calvinists probably need God to watch over their diet plan, but um, that's that's not a God making attribute telling us what cereal we're going to eat um that they would sin why god doesn't know the free will you know decisions of his creation um that god should be welcome within christianity no it shouldn't it, it should not for sure uh every day of the week hi all vocab made me laugh in this interview um yeah and so i believe this was just um they go and i wonder if james white is going to respond to this i really i really wonder if he is one of the most prominent arminian classic arminian theologian whatever classic arminianism is um theologians out there is roger olson and what did he say once very loose quote uh open theism is closer to the heart and soul of arminianism than 
um, Molinism. And amen. I oh, and Calvinism. And so I do like this uh, Montana Viking guy. Um, I don't know his name. Maybe maybe if he pulls that comment off, we'll know his name again. But I do like him. He seems to be more thoroughly versed in open theist literature than basically any other Calvinist that I, I've come up against. Hey, that's so true. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And a nickname for you know open theism would just be consistent Arminianism. Uh, but with that, I'm going to take this video down. And how do I get rid of that? Let's see. Remove from studio. There we go. And I'm going to open up a different. Um, let me share a different thing. Let's play our intro. And then I'll be back with the video that I want to, or not the video. It's an article from Roger Olson that I want to share. Uh, we'll... All right. So we'll cut that out now. But uh, Roger Olson has a lot of good material and material on open theism. As our Montana Viking friend stated earlier, that uh, this is about who God is, the character of God, the attributes of God, what is God's heart. And Roger Olson said that open theists are better than Calvinists because Calvinists defame God's character, right? Yeah, that's coming from Roger Olson. I don't, I don't got the exact citation. You could go to the God is Open website and type in Roger Olson and uh, look at his various links in which he discusses these things. Right. So oh, Roger Olson would be friendly towards open theism, even though that he's in this uh, new book in which in which the, the intro says we're all opposed to open theism. Yeah, some more than others. Roger Olson is good. But we're at about an hour, so we'll probably cut there. But uh, maybe our Montana Viking, maybe he wants to interact sometime. He doesn't seem like a, a bad dude. And so we'll, we'll cut there. Everyone, thanks for coming to our Hangouts. If you have questions, comments, either put that down below in the YouTube channel or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.